Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 13, Homesteading and You. As always, my name is Jeremy and I will be your host. Today I'm joined by Chris, otherwise known on Instagram as a sad paramedic, to discuss a wide range of gardening and homesteading topics and why it's important for us to embrace these things as a society moving forward. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast, episode 13, Homesteading and You. Uh, I'm hoping that this is going to be a multi-part series during the off-season, and today I am joined by a sad paramedic. Go ahead and say hello. I'm um, Chris. I'm a sad paramedic. Uh, I'm a semi-competent flight paramedic out in Montana. Flight paramedic is, is definitely kind of the goat of EMS services. In, I appreciate in, that. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. You know, you you have kind of a mixed Instagram channel yourself, but you you are a big uh, homesteader. Uh, I would I would say, and you know, homesteading is kind of a, a weird term. I feel like that we use sometimes. I feel like there's a lot of niche to it in a sense. It's it's not normalized. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think uh, at least like going through school, the idea of homesteading was you needed a thousand acres and a mule to have any form of a uh, homestead. I think uh, the term a lot of people are starting to find uh, some comfort in is like micro steading, uh, especially with property values going up to what they are and home values being so uh, so hard to actually get. Um, I, I think uh, micro steading is a really cool idea that a lot of people are starting to join and uh, take comfort in. For sure. And, and it seems like the internet as a whole kind of um, puts down the homesteading community in a sense, like from the farming community, and then the homesteading community continues to put down other things. It, just like everything, there, there seems to be like a negative drama sometimes when it comes to things. Yeah, it's uh, especially on like the Facebook side of the house. I'm in a couple of composting uh, groups and uh, just like gardening groups. And the amount of anger people have for somebody that wants to like compost with worms versus just use a tumbling compost. Like everybody's just angry at everybody. And I think uh, there's not that sense of community. But on the flip side, at least on Instagram, it seems like there are some people who are putting out some really good information that doing a really good job bringing, uh, bringing some positivity into that area. Absolutely. And there's nothing more diverse than uh, a group of middle-aged women on Facebook talking about chicken facts. Yeah. Now, if you want to learn all the things you can, uh, middle-aged women are generally the worst and best source of entertainment <laughs> for it. You really, you really got to, you got to pick away. I like on TikTok and whatnot, as much as I, I hate having TikTok now for the business, I have found some really awesome homesteading channels on TikTok of, you know, just like full-time homesteading women um and a lot of them yep. make really good content yes uh yeah even instagram definitely has them as well it's just a two-week delay going from tiktok to instagram but mm -hmm. i know exactly what you mean and we probably follow some of the same pages at least so so what got you into homesteading and what brought you to where you are now 
Uh, so I got into homes. I bought a house uh, October of last year. And one of the things I wanted to do is just spend a bit more time outside. And I figured the best option for me would be uh, kind of micro setting, as, as I said before. Um, and it really it was just, well, shit, I have space in my backyard. I may as well start gardening. And then it became, well, let's see how much food I can grow. And then it's, ah, oh, you know, I really want chickens as well. There's nothing saying I can't have chickens, so let me get some hot uh, chickens. And now I'm looking into uh, getting some meat rabbits as well and starting a little rabbit tree on the property. That seems to be the, de- the, the spiral of all homesteaders is I can do one more project. I can do one more project. Yes. Yeah, it just, it's always, uh, it, it seems it's always the next thing and looking forward a little bit ahead and doing a little bit now and a little bit then and a little bit. Uh, my wife and I just ordered all of the herbs and seeds for our coming garden this year as well yesterday. Nice. Yeah, I've ordered some of my seeds for new plants next year and other ones I have. A lot of things are out of stock yep. right now seed-wise. Yeah, I've been going through. turned on. Yeah, uh, we went through Super Seeds, which just uh, released their 2023 catalog, and I, it, it was an expensive little project, but man, we got some organic and some heritage seeds, and I'm really looking forward to growing them this year. Yeah, I think that is kind of one of the big misconceptions of homesteading, is that it, it homesteading will, will save you a bunch of money, which it will, but up front, if you want to do things correctly and you know kind of have some aesthetic please to it i mean it is it's a fairly intimidating um process to kind of start in the beginning yeah i agree i think if you're starting from square one with nobody uh, with none of the facebook groups or none of the tips or anything it's a really intimidating thing because i mean i think the only time i ever actually started or like grow grew something from a seed I think was in first grade and I've never done it since. And I think a lot of people see just growing something in a garden as a very daunting task. And at least for me, the truth was very much the opposite. Like everything I grew, grew well. I didn't have many issues. It was just actually just dedicating a bit of time to going out and starting the seeds from uh, starting the seeds to get it to grow Mm -hmm. is really the time consuming part. But yeah, I, I moved on to a new property this past spring as well, about 10 acres. Um, five wooded, five cleared now. Um, and, and since I got out of the Marine Corps in 2020, I had been apartment hopping, you know, because the housing market's been crazy. But finally yeah. got settled in here. I mean, I went, as they say, balls to the wall this summer. I probably did entirely too much. But I, I was so eager after years and years and years of planning, finally having property and doing stuff that I just took on all of the projects. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what we did as well. <laughs> And you know, it's, uh, and, oops, sorry, go right ahead. Nope, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I remember looking at the garden and reading all the things online, and everything that I saw online was, oh, the best way to do it if you have a small property is in uh, like stock ponds. Um, and unfortunately, I wish I never saw that stuff and just did some small raised beds around the yard out of two by fours because we got some of the stock ponds and they were $150 each for the stock pond itself. And then filling them, I think each one took probably 10 to 12 cubic yards of dirt each, and it was three stock ponds. So the cost of doing those versus just doing a couple of two by fours and some two by eights around the yard and just being like, okay, this is the bed and dumping some uh, potting soil into that, just so much more expensive. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I did the same thing you did. We just went balls to the wall this past summer. And then we had a lot of food and most of it was stuff we did not actually enjoy or eat. And, and I think that's part of the, the trial and error phase of, of what you want to grow, what do you like growing, 
are you going to keep this much of it, you know, in bulk at the end of the season and eat it through the year? I mean, it's homesteading is a constant trial and error phase. Yeah, exactly. Um, just that first thing of figuring out, at least for me, like last year, our growing season was about 130 days um, from first frost to last frost. Uh, so figuring out like, okay, I have 130 days to grow everything. So I grew some stuff that was 50 days, some stuff that was 70 days and uh, some stuff that was about 100 days. And after all of that experience this year, we grew pumpkins, but they never really turned orange, so they never fully matured. Um, and we grew a couple of uh, some corn and stuff, um, all fairly longer uh, time frames. And for buying seeds this year, it's like, okay, I am only doing stuff that is at most 70 to 80 days. So now it's a lot of stuff that's 50 days. Um, like we had probably one of the best spin, uh, bits of spinach. I hate spinach. I've never enjoyed spinach. And I grew some spinach, and it turns out that I just don't like store spinach. The spinach we grew, oh, it was some of the best tasting spinach I've ever had, and it was extremely easy to grow as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also grew corn and pumpkin this year, but I was kind of late to the planting from my um, grow zone, which we'll get into grow zones here in a little bit for those of you that don't know what that is. Um, I didn't really do much of my planting until the beginning of June because May was when I settled on the house. So a lot of my pumpkins also kind of finished like half ripe. They're actually all in the garage right now, like half orange. I'm waiting for them to ripen. Um, My corn turned out good, though. We have here in Kentucky, I got a little bit longer grow season than you do up in Montana. I feel like it's the uh, 4th of July and you guys are getting your first snow. Basically, uh, we every now and again, our mountains will get snow 12 months of the year. So it's always just kind of a constant worry about getting frost. But luckily, uh, we had some great success with uh, tomatoes this year in our seed grow area, which was really surprising. But I started them indoors probably eight weeks or uh, eight weeks or 12 weeks before uh, last frost. I have a little notebook when I started everything and I actually have to go through it so I can get an idea. So you said you did. Uh, what did you do for beds? The galvanized. Uh, so I did stock ponds, the uh, little metal, um, metal big, uh, I think it's, what is it, probably five foot long, two foot wide by four foot deep. Um, I did them in what's called a Hugen culture style. So I had st- uh, sticks and logs on the bottom, and then I had some broken down wet hay over that and then leaf litter and debris over that and then dirt on top. But just filling them with dirt was extremely expensive. So going forward this year, I'm just going to build some uh, cheap little raised beds with scrap two by fours and four by fours and two by eights, whatever I can get my hands on and uh, and just fill them that way. And it should be a little bit cheaper. I'm also starting to look into creating my own potting soil, mm-hmm. um, which uh, again, like you would never think about doing that because it's like, no, I need the miracle grow. I can't make my own soil. It turns out it's extremely easy to make soil and it is significantly cheaper by the cubic foot so um, it's worthwhile looking into that as well it's just cocoa core uh vermiculite and uh peat is the main things in miracle row potting soil uh, it's just different uh, percentages of it for each of the different types of it so it's extremely easy to even make your own potting soil nice yeah so this year i did i did the raised bed method because i looked at Kind of the I, I I didn't know if I wanted to do direct sow because I had a fair amount of space there where I could have done um, you know a direct sow into the ground, but at the same time I, I kind of like the raised beds because it organizes things a little bit better and makes things a little neater. So I did the raised beds. I did let's see, I did two by sixes by ten foot, 
And so it only took three to make the raised bed. I did two 10 footers on each side, and then I would cut the 10 footer in half to make the short sides. That way my raised bed was only five feet wide and I could reach it from any spot of the raised bed. Um, and I didn't have to fill the beds with as much material, only six inches of material. Cause then underneath that I was, you know, directly in the ground. Yeah. And I did a bed the same way. I had some uh, old siding for my house. I was just sitting up in the uh, garage. The people before me had left it and same thing. They were 10 or 12 foot and just cut them down to size, cut them in half and everything. And the plants in that did better than the ones that were in the stock ponds. Uh, so I'm probably going to be doing that the rest of the way. I really like the stock pond method for lettuce uh, and tomatoes just because it just took in so much heat. Um, and the tomatoes seemed to love it. The lettuce didn't do well in the heat in the summer, but did really well in the spring when it was still a bit cool out. Um, and again, that's just stuff that comes from, okay, this worked pretty well, but this worked really well. Let me go forward and do this. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it varies a ton by plants on what the plant preferences as far as pots, tanks, direct sow, water level, how much you water. I mean, plants vary so yeah. much. It's a ton of trial and error. Exactly. Um, and again, like even all of the, I think we had two plants completely fail and that was pickling cucumbers uh, and then regular cucumbers, which isn't a huge deal. Would have been a nice little bonus, but I mean, our squash did amazing. Our pumpkins did amazing. We had more tomatoes than we could eat, lettuce, spinach. Um, and then we had snow peas that were killed by some wind. But uh, it, again, it's all just, well, I really like this food. Let me try growing it and see if I can. Um, I won't do corn again this year just because for the space that it was and the amount that I got out of it, I could plant other stuff that'll grow a bit more prolific and uh, in less space. See, I, pl I planted corn this past year too. It was very successful outside of the deer getting to it because I failed to protect <laughs> it correctly. Um, but I'm going to expand my corn probably by like six or seven times next year. Nice. Um, and, and that's another thing I don't think people understand with, uh, with corn at least. Um, and I had no idea when I was first growing it. Luckily I read something before I transplanted them outside, but you need to be planting corn in like an eight foot by eight foot area in rows because it all pollinates each other. Um, so if you don't have wind going through it, or if you only have one or two corn stalks, you're going to have really, really tiny or, uh, just no actual pollinated corn at all. And you'll have to hand pollinate it, which is a lot of what I had to do. I had, I think I did a, like a 20 by 25 block of corn, which came out to like, I'd say anywhere from fifth, probably like 15, 16 rows. Um, and my corn all grew really fast and, and I didn't even till the ground that I direct sowed into. I actually just took, um, compost cause I bought compost in bulk by the truck bed from a, from a local company, mushroom compost and actually just okay. went on top of the hill and put down, um, some like a grass barrier, like just a real thin paper to hopefully kill off the grass and then put compost directly over top of that in a big block and planted the corn directly into the compost and it's sprouted and grew perfectly. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's just fantastic. One of the things for people listening, if they're going to try something like that, just make sure you don't get what's called hot compost, uh, because a lot of times it'll kill the seeds. Uh, like making your own compost, you need it up to 150 degrees. So actually making sure that the compost is 
post like being made and actually you can plant directly in it is really important like cow manures uh, manure compost i believe it is is uh um, you need to spread it out and actually mix it into the dirt as you would with tilling and everything which is also interesting because there's a bunch of stuff saying you shouldn't till at all uh, and but yeah it, it's funny again like the more time you spend reading about this you'll see 50% of people do one thing and 50% of people are absolutely opposed to it and you will grow nothing doing it that way. It's just hilarious watching uh, how varied the opinions on this stuff is. The only hard opinion I have is not using fertilizers and other like uh, chemical enhancers for the garden. I try to pretty much do everything completely organic totally agree with you on that i was actually reading a study that got put out uh recently um they did an experiment on seeing if chemical fertilizers affected pollination and it turns out that the petroleum in it is affecting the way that a bee perceives the flower um and it has things to do with like the magnetics something or another that it's giving off. It was a really, really interesting study to read and go through. But what they were finding is any flower that was chemically pollinated or uh, chemically fertilized like that had like a 40% reduction in uh, pollinators coming to visit it. Um, and that was one of the big issues we had was we did not have a lot of pollinators. So this year we're planting a lot of lavender and uh, um, other things that are very beneficial to pollinators in our area to try and get them to come in. And, and some people go overboard with the fertilizer i had a friend um they had a fairly large um direct sow garden spot and they had you know, tomatoes peppers the whole nine and it wasn't doing great because we got a really early heat wave in june this year which is why my greens i don't think took off when i planted them from seed um but you know it was probably 100 degrees out or more for most of june and since the plants weren't doing well their answer was oh i'll just throw more fertilizer on it until it grows you know stuff you get at lowe's or home depot and it yep. essentially burned their plants up just straight killed them yeah exactly i think a lot of people look at fertilizers as the answer to everything and i mean looking at the nitrogen that what is it npk ratios on them like there's so vast differences in them um, that unless you know okay i need this ratio for this top plant like a tomato plant will do better with a specific ratio than a lettuce plant would um i think it just kind of letting it grow and being like oh, okay the plant's not growing it's probably 110 degrees out that may be why let me just wait until it cools down it'll probably grow better that way but same with us we didn't use a lot of fertilizers this year uh, more just plant food mixed into some water and they did all really well with that but again organic fertilizers from a local place i uh i'm trying to do my own compost right now um and, and i i probably haven't done as much research on composting as i should have um, I, you know, basically I throw all of my brown and my green, uh, compost down there in a pile. It's aerated every once in a while I go down there and turn it over and I'm just kind of seeing how it goes. Cause I, I kind of want to see the effect of not, you know, kind of policing it to an exact standard of something I read online first and, and see how it goes. You know, uh, I bought a book, I think it's called composting 101. 
And literally the first page of it was like, you can use this book, but the first thing to understand is compost happens. Regardless of the ratios you use, regardless of turning it, compost happens. Mm -hmm. It makes sense because if you look at a forest when humans were still in the, uh, not, not even so much hunter gathering, when we were still trying to run away from uh, um, other actual apex predators, like uh, people weren't out there turning the forests over and stuff like that. So everything was breaking down on its own and really like uh, the composting method I'm doing, I'm just throwing stuff out and as it composts, I just keep adding to it. So I haven't, I'll turn it every few days. I have one of the barrel composters and it seems to be working pretty well for me. So I think people get really caught up on uh, composting. You have to do it this way when realistically, if it's biodegradable, it will compost. Yeah, all of our green scratches from the kitchen that we don't give to the chickens goes in the compost pile. All of the shavings and manure from the chickens, that goes to the compost pile. And then the horse manure, um, I like to collect that up every once in a while and throw that in there. And then I just, I mean, I probably don't turn it, honestly, as much as I should. But, I mean, I'm just kind of seeing how it goes at this, at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, we're doing something really similar uh, and using the deep litter method for our chickens this winter, just because the coop I got is not super well insulated and it'll get to negative 40, negative 50 here. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just trying to get it to break down and start composting to put some heat inside of the chicken coop. Mm -hmm. And it's, but we were doing the same thing beforehand. Every week when I would clean out the chicken coop, just throw it directly into the compost bin. And I mean, that's bringing in bacteria. That's bringing in a bunch of stuff that's really, really good for composting. Biggest thing you just need to do is just make sure it's at some point it's heating up to kill off all the negative bacteria. But yeah. Yeah, I'm doing the deep method for my chicken coop as well. Our cold season came normal uh, earlier than normal. So November 1st, I stopped cleaning out my chicken coop. Um, I go in there and I kind of just turn over all of like the pine shavings and the manure and whatnot. And then I throw just a very light layer of clean shavings on top of it. And I'm, I'm just going to keep doing that over and over again. Cause my chicken coop, it was built by hand, but it's also not insulated at all either. And I don't want to put like an electric heat source in there. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're doing the same thing. I was cleaning it out weekly. And then once this started, it's like, ah, whatever, added a bunch of pine shavings, some straw. Um, I've just been throwing like a quarter cup of scratch directly into the chicken coop just to get them to turn it over to save me some work. Interesting. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's funny, my chicken, a little off talk, my chickens love to go down to the horse pasture when I throw hay out for my horse. And they like to annoy the horse by like 20 something chicken standing on top of his hay and just turning it over before he can even start eating. <laughs> and he just looks at oh, that's like, hilarious. What the hell. Sometimes I have to go down and like, shoo him away. And then I'm imagining once uh once you walk away they're right back on that pile. Oh yeah, there's so many. They're little yeah. velociraptors. Oh, dude, it's hilarious. I was talking to uh some coworkers about that yesterday how chickens have not forgotten they are dinosaurs. Mhm. Mm Especially like around yep. like the eight to 12 week mark when they're just big enough to like kind of start to look like grown chickens, but they still run yep. like little chicks. I mean, they look like velociraptors running around. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, and honestly, I think out of all of the things I've done, just getting some chickens has been the best. Um, it's just the amount of, uh, not necessarily favoritism. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm missing the word right now, but the amount of stuff I'm able to give to my neighbors with no expectation of anything back, just the relationships that I've been building from 
being the guy with fresh eggs. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it, it's been amazing. Um, you can, I mean, eggs have been one of the most useful things and I have bartered for more stuff with something I get for almost free out of the backyard than anything else I have. I, uh, I, my chickens are at just a shy week old of six months right now. And they are not started laying eggs, but they kind of came into maturity at a time where the light in the day started to go away. And I yep. was kind of late adding supplemental light to the chick. I just put uh, the new light in uh Friday. So okay. It's, um, so it's probably going to be a couple weeks for them to get accumulated before they start laying the eggs based on the new, the new light. Yep. Yep. Uh, we didn't add a light to ours if they stop laying, so be it. But we have 11 and we're getting right now, I think I've gotten six today so far and I'm waiting to see if some more lay. Um, the biggest issue I've had is we have one that lays at like five o'clock in the afternoon. She just likes to lay late in the evening and all the other ones will be like, yep, nine o'clock. We've given you our egg. We're going to go enjoy the day. And she's like, mm, no, I'm going to wait until the evening time. <laughs> see, and that right now... I'm thinking about, because I free-range my chickens, I'm thinking about confining them to the coop for the next couple okay. of weeks to the run because if they are out there laying in the middle of the afternoon, I'm not going to know, and I don't, and yep. they're not going to know to lay in the boxes if I've just let them run around all over the place. Uh, one little entirely off-topic tip for you that I learned the hard way. Uh, we let our chickens kind of free-range probably two or three times a week just because we have a small backyard next to a road. Um one of them had laid an egg in our lilac bushes and i didn't find it for probably a couple of weeks uh and as i I was gonna just throw it into the compost i was sitting there and just tapping on the egg with my thumb turns out when they like rot inside of the eggs they don't always crack and they can explode (laughs) and cover you with rotten eggs and it it was one of the most foul experiences foul uh disgusting experiences i've had where just coated in rotten egg and running inside to take a shower after i tapped a uh an egg i found outside and it exploded on me had no idea that was a thing that could happen did you use trainer eggs with your chickens nope um i did i got some sorry go right ahead i was just gonna say i got trainers in there right now nice um yeah, we. I just kind of put them in the coop. Uh, my issue was they all wanted to sleep outside of the coop, so I had to manually put them into the coop their first couple of nights in there. Uh, and then they figured it out pretty quick. Um, I haven't had any issues with our chickens eating their eggs either, um, but I have a bunch of like chicken enrichment stuff. Like there's a mirror. I want to get them a xylophone, stuff like that. So they have plenty to keep themselves busy other than pecking at eggs. Um, so we never went with training eggs and it hasn't we haven't had an issue with it yeah mine mine really like free ranging i'm right off the main road and the main road actually kind of acts as a barrier because there's a ton of traffic that comes because i'm in between big towns but outside of town so the constant traffic on the road i think keeps them on my side of the road but my five acres that's cleared down here i mean they go everywhere all day they're absolute animals yeah, yeah, it's uh I love letting them outside when our lilac bushes fell. They cleared out all underneath the lilac bushes for me and then I just took all that leaf litter and just threw it directly into their run. Um and I'll do that again this spring once it uh all the our snow melts and need to get that stuff out. They do a fantastic job digging up dirt and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if one, if I could change one thing about the chicken coop that I built, I wish I would have built my run a little bit 
bigger. It's it's yeah. okay if I'm going to keep them in for like a day or two um, in the run, but with 24 chickens, really my run's not big enough to keep them in there for like multiple, multiple days at a time. It, the, the coop was built with the idea of them being free range pretty much full time. And looking back on that, I'm like, hmm. Should have made it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that you could do that we did uh, was get some like three foot yard stakes and mm. some chicken wire and just fence them in in a uh, area. Like if you have a door to your run, have the chicken wire running around that in however big of a space you need. Um, we did that, and I just kind of sectioned off spots in the backyard throughout the day, mm. and they would just go through and cut my grass for me, dig up dirt if I needed them, stuff like that. And it actually worked really well. Yeah, I have I have a lot of three foot garden stakes from when I failed to realize that deer don't care if the fence is three feet, they will still jump it. Uh, to yes, they will. I I thought you know like ah eh, maybe this will just deter them. Nope, I lost my green beans and cucumbers very early in the season. Uh, <laughs> and then corn uh, we, later. Uh, oh well, now you have a nice corn fed whitetail on your property that you could just pop uh, during rifle season. Yeah, I, I put down, Saturday was opening day, and I, pu- I put down probably the biggest doe I've ever shot uh, in oh, the that's morning, fantastic. late morning, and then I shot uh, a nice mature buck in the evening. Nice. I'm going out tomorrow with a friend for some elk, and hopefully I'll get something, but on the flip side, I'll have to buy a freezer because I don't have the space for a whole elk. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Them elk make a ton of meat. Yeah. Yep. Uh, buddy got 75 pounds of meat off of his elk this year. And he gave me, I mean, again, just given him eggs, he's been giving me elk meat and antelope meat and all the stuff he shoots. So I haven't had to go out hunting desperately, which has been very worthwhile. So what, I guess one big thing we can kind of hit on is, you know, cause we're both kind of a part or in the following of, we'll call it the tactical community on Instagram, the two A community. Um, you know, how does homesteading and kind of, I guess self, not preparedness, uh, not preservation. I can't think of the word at the moment. Um, self-sustainability. Yeah. I, how, how does that tie into the to the two-way community? You know, I think there's a lot of emphasis on like the latest greatest uh, CQB tactics or the new latest greatest riser for shooting through nods and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people forget that like the dark reality is you will not be able to run to the hills hunt and survive off of that i mean i just read a book blood and thunder about kit carson uh, and the navajo back in the 1840s 1850s during the indian wars and uh, you can read it in and amongst trappers of that era that whole free trapping era the dark reality is back then in the 1800s when the west was not settled the game animals were just decimated by settlers moving out there Mm -hmm. so for people to think when they're outside of a city of fifty thousand people they'll just be able to go to the hills run and shoot something and then have the knowledge to preserve it to uh, either smoke it salt it or however whatever means of uh, preservation you want without ever having done it before and without any expectation of somebody else beating you to that i think people are very much doing themselves a disservice with uh at least with growing your own food like i, I we would have starved to death if i needed to survive this winter on what i grew just because it was such a small amount um but having the understanding that okay I need to be well-rounded in fighting, but I also need to have a 
food source to come back to. I can't rely on just animals coming into it um, because you're not going to be the only hunter out there. And unfortunately, we have a very bad case of uh, um, what is it? Player one syndrome, I think it's called, where we think or main character syndrome, where we're going to be the hero. We're going to be the one everybody turns to to survive. And we're not going to be the background character that just gets shot going from point A to point B trying to cross a street or something, which I think is a much more uh, real scenario. So understanding that you having food or having a community that knows how to grow food with you is a very important thing. I'm friends with multiple beef farms and uh, stuff like that, where we have the plans laid out. Okay, if X happens, we'll go to Y, I'll come to you, I'll provide guns and security. I know how to garden, I know how to forage. This is what I bring to the table other than, well, I have gear for me and you have food, so I'm just gonna take it because well, that farmer knows his property significantly better than you do and is probably gonna shoot you before you get a chance to shoot a cow. And, you know, I think we as Americans, and this even speaks outside of the 2A community a little bit, don't realize how vulnerable we are as a society. Because if you look at the history before World War II, even as we started to industrialize, people still had what they called victory gardens. For those that don't know, victory gardens are just simple little home backyard gardens. I'm sure a lot of people remember in the early 2000s and the 90s that your grandparents still gardened to to some extent. we don't have we don't have that anymore and and though you can't sustain your entire family off some tomato plants in a single raised bed in your backyard that little bit helps and that little bit that the entire community does eventually you know carries everyone forward um later but it also gives you the skills to expand if and when you need to because if you just start trying you know if you're just like you know what the supermarket is now out of food officially I'm just going to start gardening. And you've never gardened a day in your life. One, you probably don't have any seeds. Um, Seeds will now become a very high trade item. But you also have no knowledge to capitalize on those seeds. And if you waste the resources that you're able to accommodate from the beginning, then you have nothing left afterwards. And it's just kind of a downhill spiral from there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think one of the conversations that most people don't have is just having a conversation in the garden with your neighbor. Um, I've been talking to my one neighbor very frequently, like, hey, I'm growing X, Y, and Z this year. And they're like, okay, well, I'm growing X, Y, and Z. And we'll just meet in the middle and swap a bunch of plants. Like, uh, And even something as simple as that, because your victory garden may not be enough to sustain you and your family. But you, your neighbor, and their neighbors may be enough to sustain all of you, especially if you're growing different crops that grow at different times and mature at different times. You'll have a vastly larger amount of food to grow from than if it's just you just trying to figure out how to grow seeds on your own and starving to death while you're doing it. Because let's not discount uh, Christopher McCandless up in Alaska, who starved to death on a bus because he tried to shoot a moose to survive an Alaskan winter learned that food preservation is not an easy thing and starving to death is something that will happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the 2A community as a whole is kind of, you know, pushing that Minuteman, find your tribe, mag group type thing. And and you should be kind of coordinating like what you just kind of talked about, that neighborly garden trade type thing. You should be doing that amongst your group of peers and whatnot. Like something we're doing for... exactly something we're doing from my local guys is we're all kind of trying to prioritize certain homesteading aspects this coming year. Like we're all doing everything or a lot like me specifically, I'm focusing heavy on 
meat birds and corn this coming year. Another guy is focusing heavy on potatoes and sweet potatoes. Uh, and, and, you know, having those guys that you already train with on a normal basis and you talk about politics with and, you know, you talk and you do all of this stuff that you already do with, you might as well do it on the food side as well. Yep. Exactly. Um, a quick little example I have of that, uh, of lack of priorities, like yours is a phenomenal example of great prioritization. Something we had, we in the 2A community definitely need to be doing more of is I'm friends with a guy who spent $15,000 on binocular night vision with an e-cotty system, like just this amazing setup. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know how to read a map and compass. So, <laughs> uh, uh, and again, like to me, that was a very basic skill that I was taught as a child. So when I handed him a compass and a map, he's like, I don't know how to use this. It's like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, and I think there's just this over-prioritization of, doing, of having the latest, greatest that whatever group it is, um, goon group forward until dawn ology two has on Facebook and is pushing or Instagram and is pushing versus, you know, I don't know how to survive. I don't know how to walk in the mountains without getting lost. Let me learn how to count my pace. Let me learn how to use a compass and figure out magnetic north versus true north, stuff like that. I think we do a really bad job at understanding and prioritizing that. And food is the basis of all that. Because if you're hungry, you are not going to do a 10-mile ruck mm-hmm. or you're not going to do a 10-mile ruck well. And I think similar to how we're seeing some like Instagram culture change as far as being proud and actually posting about training, you know, with local guys, we're kind of starting to see the same thing with homestay and gardening once, uh, gardening and whatnot. I, 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 uh, Drew Hopkins, he posts a lot about like his, his stuff, pine tree rebellion, the bipartisan physician, like a lot of guys are starting to post more about their gardening. Whereas I think in the past it wasn't as popular of a, of a concept. There wasn't a content demand for it in a sense. No, uh, I just did uh, what would you like to see on my page? And I actually had a lot of people request more gardening stuff. Um, so the demand is definitely there. And I think people are starting to finally have that conversation, which is just coming at a fantastic time because our food at the supermarket is horrible for you. And again, I go back to the spinach I grew this year. I hated spinach. I've never enjoyed spinach uh, at any point in my entire life. And I grew it this year, just a small little patch of it. And I would sit out there and just eat the leaves all day. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd just go by, grab a handful and sit and munch on them while I was doing other chores around the yard. And it was just such a vastly better tasting spinach than any of the spinach I've gotten at the store. And all of the vegetables I grew were like that. So even even if it, you're just doing a small little garden, you're just getting out for that first time, having you'll just be hooked off of what you grow and how much better tasting it is. And and I think another big thing that should emphasize you being somewhat self-sufficient is two things. One is the logistics of our current agricultural market and then also the price. Because, I mean, I don't know how it is out west. I'm sure it's the same, if not worse. The prices of food is is honestly kind of ridiculous at this point. I understand why it's expensive. But if you would have told me, even in 2020, when prices were already going up, that we would get to the prices of food where we're at now, I'd have been like, that's a stretch. But, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Um, Um, And I think just from the economic standpoint, making like you are doing just a small little plot, direct sow it in, what you grow, what you grow, I think something like that, just to help your wallet, is really, really helpful. I think this year I've spent $130 on seeds. 
but the way I'm planning it, it should be enough to be able to eat directly from my garden two meals a day. That's awesome. And, and I think another big thing that people um, don't realize is that homesteading or gardening complements um, the stereotyp- stereotypical prepping aspect perfectly. Because we talk a lot about storing dry bulk foods, you know, rice, uh, flour, pasta, all that kind of stuff. If you, and that's long shelf life type foods, but like canned foods, like canned green beans, canned pears, and like fruits and vegetable type stuff, that stuff is already one, not great for you to begin with, but also isn't, doesn't taste very good. And it's, it's not, um, it's not going to keep coming back to you. Whereas if you have a, a storage of good dry bulk foods, and now you have a garden where you can continue to grow fresh produce to complement the things you did put into bulk. Now you have a system that can last much, much, much longer. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Especially if you're complementing it with adding more to it and backstocking whatever you're eating, you don't have to worry about your stores running out because you're constantly replenishing it at least several months a year. And then you have something for the winter that's like, Oh, you know, I want some fresh tomatoes. You can just grow, go and grab some fresh tomatoes from your pantry. It's, it's a fantastic option. I, my goal, one of my big goals for 2023 is to grow and can enough tomato sauce to supplement my entire year, year following the growing season of spaghetti sauce. Cause I'm a big pasta guy. Um, okay. And I, and then, you know, pasta sauce is something that's easy to store in bulk. But I want to can yep. enough tomato sauce to supplement all tomato products from you know fall 2023 to spring 2024. That's one yeah. of my big Yeah, goals. that's a fantastic goal. Um, I wish my yard was big enough to do stuff like that. Um, I have much smaller goals, but like you had said, you want to get meat birds as well. That's another thing that I'm contemplating doing just because mm-hmm. it's, I enjoy chicken. If I can grow a chicken for 15 bucks and get a week of meals out of it since it's just my wife and I, be stupid not to do that Mm -hmm. so i think again going back to what we had talked on in the beginning i think a lot of people look at homesteading as a very daunting um very in-depth time-consuming process and honestly it's you're going to be outside in your backyard in the summer anyways just put a couple seeds down mow around it and enjoy seeing if you can grow something it's quite a lot of fun which I think leads us into a good topic of, you know, just kind of talking about what are some of the easiest things for people to start off as far as homesteading goes that have no prior experience, no infrastructure already. What are things people can do in the beginning of 2023 to start them on this journey? Uh, what I did, um, just kind of got a notebook, drew out, measured a little area and was like, okay, I've, 15 square feet of uh, of room what can i grow and i have i'm very hyper fixated on things so i went down a very deep rabbit hole but um most of the time like if you just have a couple of little pots and some space you can grow lettuce inside like butterhead lettuce does well in a pot there's a variety of jalapenos that take 40 days they're called potapenos very low growing they just need a little bit of light a little bit of water and you can grow them Um, and it turned into i have a seed starting station in my basement with just cheap little LED shop lights from my local Ace Hardware, a wire rack, and I get uh, some trays that I put dirt in and grow uh, grow whatever I want down in my basement. 
And I, one of the things I wanted to do this year, and I got some seeds for it, is I want to grow a head of lettuce in January when it's negative 15 out. Um, so I'm going to do that, and I'm actually going to pick up the dirt and everything for it today because I'm right about at the point I need to. Uh, at least for me, I think the biggest thing people can do is figure out what they like to eat vegetable-wise and then buy a couple seeds, get a little bit of dirt, and just see if you can grow it because you would be surprised how easy it is to grow things. And I would, it's important for people to know and understand that you don't even have to live on a little five, 10 acre homestead in order to do these things. You can live on a quarter or a third acre plot in a subdivision and build two raised beds so long as you don't live in a HOA community. And if you do, you should move out. But you, should, yes. you, can, you can build a raised bed or two, I would suggest two, in your backyard and grow enough, you know, fruits and vegetables and whatnot of something of your choice to, you know, make some supplemental cans of salsa and some spaghetti sauce and maybe some pickles. Like you don't have to do massive, massive projects. Again, starting small, um, you know, is completely fine. And, and you don't even have to turn it into a huge operation at, at some point in time. It could literally be just an evening hobby thing you do where you like enjoying working on the garden with your spouse or your kids or something like that because that is also a very good i think cultural aspect to all of this is you know not only just spending time with people but also just you know handing down knowledge to future generations to hopefully fix the the world we live in now exactly um and for what it's worth just because i think everybody thinks of yellowstone when they think of montana i live in a small little town i'm on a 16th of an acre and i was able to grow probably 50 pounds of food this year out of four raised beds in my backyard and they're not big raised beds i think all said and done i have 40 square feet of, uh, of garden space so you don't need a lot to make a lot of food you don't need a vast wide open space it helps to have more there's a little spot next to my yard that city property that i have to mow and i'm going to approach him and see if i can just turn it into a small little like community garden um and I'm, if i can i'm going to grow a vast field of corn on it and see if that'll help um, and if they say no then i'm going to be like, okay well i'm not mowing it you can't do anything about it it's your property um but i i Again, I think just starting it is the best thing people can do. Going to Walmart, picking up a couple seeds and just seeing. And they make all different kinds of like little indoor gardens. They make hydroponic gardens if that's more your style where you literally pr plug it in, add some water and just let it go and it'll grow. Uh, that's what we're doing for herbs inside this year. It's called Aero Garden. It works really well. So there's just so many options and a lot of them are really cheap, really easy to do and get into. Interesting. Um, and and we'll hit on the livestock portion of this too we've hit on gardening a lot chickens guys chickens are extremely easy to take care of they are they call them the the gateway to homesteading uh, <laughs> because it is kind of a downward spiral from there because you're like oh i can also do all of this other stuff but chickens yes. are super easy i mean especially if you're in a subdivision or you know just on the outskirts of town and don't have much land you know getting you know, five, six, seven hens in a, in a small little coop. You don't even have to free range them. But, you know, having that supplemental, you know, especially eggs on a normal basis, you don't need a rooster. It's nice to have a rooster. I have two roosters. But just having those supplemental eggs on a weekly basis and being able to supplement your diet, trade, like Chris has talked about a ton through this podcast, you know, having that ability is, is really interesting. Plus, it, it, it kind of adds... 
I would say an aesthetic light to your little homestead, if that's what you want to call it, or your whatever fancy title you want to it. Chickens just kind of add a little bit of excitement and light to doing everything. I love going outside and seeing my little velociraptors run around the yard. Yeah, same on my end. One of my favorite things to do this past summer was have my cup of coffee, feed my chickens, and just listen to chicken sounds. And I don't know why that was, but that caused me more dopamine release and like relieved the vast amount of stress than anything else was waking up at like six o'clock in the morning on the day I was working, having my coffee, just watching my chickens pluck around. It is so much fun. And like you said, it just brings something back to uh, back to your yard that I think is missing um, a lot of fun, especially when you watch them like jump. I think chickens jumping and chickens running is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Especially when you have food. Yes. Uh, our chickens will try and steal bones from our dogs, which is, again, just going back, they have not forgotten their dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a little bit of property, you can look into getting goats. Uh, a girl I'm friends with from high school just got two milk cows. And if I lived outside of town and had a bit more property, 100% I would have a milk cow just because with non-pasteurized milk, you can make cheese. You can make so much with, uh, mm-hmm. uh, with fresh milk that you can't otherwise do. Um, and same thing with goats for anybody who's wondering, like goats are great little things to have if you have a smaller piece of property and allowed to have it. Now, with that being said, with goats, you got to make sure that you have some sturdy infrastructure because goats are magicians. Yes. Yeah. Goats are both smart and very agile creatures. They do not care about pain. They will just walk through just about anything. It's got to be solid yep. or have a lot of volts behind it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was I was thinking yeah. about I was thinking about doing goats this coming year, but I was thinking about doing meat goats. Um, but in the end, I was okay. like, I don't I don't know if I'm going to eat this much goat, and I, if I'm going to do it, I want to be able to self-sustain it in a sense. So then I have to keep my bucks and my does separate sometimes, and keep my younger bucks away from my older bucks. And in the end, I was like, eh, this isn't really worth it. And, and for me, milk goats dairy goats weren't necessarily um an option either but just as busy as my schedule is um and i promise guys it it don't matter how busy your schedule is you find time you find a way but especially in 2023 expanding the business i mean i'm going to be doing a lot more traveling this year for teaching medical classes um so it's kind of hard to take on too many projects and then just expect my fiance to also pick up where I left off while I start 9,000 outside projects while she also works a full-time job. <laughs> so I have to, I have to keep yep. that. I have to, that's something I have to remind myself sometimes is that as much as it may suck, that there is a limit to reality because you don't want to become homestead, homestead stressed to the responsibilities. Yep. I think just taking off a small bite at each time. And then, like you said, with chickens being the gateway drug to other farm animals, accepting the reality that, okay, I did chickens really well. Let me wait a year and see what taking care of chickens in the winter looks like. Mm -hmm. Because the other day when it was negative 15 and I had to be outside working with the chickens, I really wasn't that enthusiastic. And those chickens would look much better in my freezer. But um, 
next year I know, okay, this worked really well with the chickens during the winter. This did not let me do more of this and less of this. So I think biting off just a little piece at a little time and slowly adding to your homestead is a great way to avoid the, oh my God, I have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning so I can milk my goats, water the goats, take out the chicken, do all of this other stuff. Yeah, there, there is, I know for me, what's a, cause what's a flight paramedic schedule look like? I work two 24 hour shifts a week. Okay. So, so yeah, I mean, I work, you know, 24 on 48 off at the firehouse and I know waking up at, you know, waking up early isn't the part that sucks. It's going outside when it's pitch black, dark still. And I'm trying to fit in all of the things I need to do before both me and my fiance are gone for the day before I go to the firehouse is can be a little hectic sometimes, especially in winter right now. Where I, all right, it's like, all right, I have to go make sure that the chicken's ice didn't freeze. I got to throw my horse extra hay this morning. Got to make sure his water's yep, not freeze. Exactly. Um, exactly. And then on the off days, just planning for, okay, I need to go get X, Y, and Z so that I'm set for the next week of these things. I think, I think going into it, having a good plan is very beneficial because I didn't do that this year with chickens. I was just like, I can have chickens. All right, I'm going to have chickens and figured it out as I went along. And I think avoiding that will uh, keep people from being a little bit overstressed and uh, have a little bit more fun with it than anything. Because at the end of the day, if you're not having fun with doing this, you're not going to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So having that massive garden your first year that you're spending five hours a day on is probably going to burn you out the following year. So start small and then work your way up, figure out, make your mistakes with a cheap garden and then go on to a big one, make your mistakes with a small animal versus just jumping right into it and getting a cow and finding out, well, you didn't know what you're doing when you bought a cow, you wanted a milk cow and you bought a beef cow and now having to scramble to figure out a way to butcher the cow kind of thing. Um, just talking to people in your area that do it as well. We'll do, I'm, messaging a couple of friends to do a seed swap um Mm. i want i know there's going to be a local poultry meetup and i might bring a couple of my uh chickens and swap them for some other varieties of chickens stuff like that just comes with experience getting into your facebook groups and just talking with your local community people um in my town the ace hardware is apparently the go-to place for all the old people to talk shop about gardens and livestock and everything and, you know, sometimes you're going to have a plan and it's not going to work out. I went into this year with a, a huge, great, divert, very detailed plan. And then there was still so much where I was like, damn, I should have done this completely different or this failed or whatever it is. And that's okay. You, you continue to learn, you know, and you, you just try again next year if something doesn't work. Or maybe your results weren't as great. Like for me big thing that sucked this year was in July, my green bean plants were thriving and I like green beans and fresh green beans are really good, but the deer got in the garden and ate my green bean plants. So when I replanted my green beans, I had like a 20% sprout rate in comparison to when I planted prior, I had a hundred percent sprout rate. So things are going to happen and that's okay. Exactly. I went into my garden with every square inch of it planted out, followed none of it. And you know what? That's it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my biggest thing was carrots, not spacing my carrots far enough apart. So I had a lot of very little carrots. And next year, I really like the carrots. So I'm growing the same variety. And now I know, okay, it says to plant this close together. I actually do need to plant this close together or this far apart kind of thing. So, yeah. and, and 
it's okay. Half a, I mean, I got some really funky looking carrots out of having them super close together. And I got one that kind of looked like a, uh, a guy with his pants off. So stuff like that. And those are the memories that my wife and I share of us pulling up all the carrots and being like, Oh my God, look at all the carrots. And then eating just a couple of them, giving them to our dogs and stuff like that. So it, it's supposed to be fun. And if you're not having fun with it, take a breath, take a step back and be like, okay, what is it that's stressing me out? And then just don't do that. Yeah, I planted the, the the carrots that did take off this year, which I didn't have a ton because I planted them late. The carrots I had, I planted them probably way too close together too because they grew really small or really didn't grow much at all. Next year, I need to space my carrots out a whole lot more. Yep. Uh, and then with your a little tip for you and whoever else is listening with chickens, uh, save your feed bags. Um you can add potatoes to the bottom of it, add some dirt on, a little bit of water, and then as those sprout, just keep adding soil to the level of the leaves, and you'll get uh, bags of potatoes out of it. I did that this past year, and I kind of screwed up because I never kept adding soil to it. But, I mean, I probably put a pound of potato in three bags, and I think we probably got 15 or 20 pounds of potatoes back out of it. It was nice. insane how good they were. Um, and then you're reusing some of the otherwise scrap that you would have out of uh out of something else so that worked really well for us and saving all of my chicken feed bags to do that this year in regards to chicken feed one of my goals for this coming year also is to grow field corn dent corn okay and yep. supplement my winter feed with hardy corn mm. um, there, there seems to be so much conflicting information online about what makes up a proper chicken diet um, some people are like, you should never give, you know, chicken straight feed corn because it doesn't have whatever, blah, blah, blah. And some people are like, yeah, you should give it to them. And then some people are like, you should mix that with your feed. And I, and I think that's the route I'm going to take. I think I'm going to try to grow, okay. I'm going to grow the field corn separate from my sweet corn. And then, you know, through the winter, just adding an extra scoop of good field corn with their normal serving of um, normal serving or probably a little less of their layer feed just through the winter months as you know, I don't know, just cause I, don't, I really don't know why I just want to see what it does. Yeah. yeah I and That's the fun thing is you can just do that when you have your own chicken. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, we're feeding them a high protein layer feed and a high fat layer feed just because of how cold it gets. If they have a little extra fat, that's fine with me. Yeah. Uh, but that I do two cups of scratch throughout the day for them. And then they have easy access to uh, warm water and layer or their regular layer feed throughout the day. And then all of the chicken scraps that my wife and I produce, which amounts to maybe like two or 3% of their diet. And I'll throw in like a pumpkin or a cabbage or something that I'll pick up for them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, the variety that you will get when you just Google homemade chicken feed is insane how much and like you said just some people are like no 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 only feed them this or feed them this with this and there's just so much information on it and all of it contradicts whatever else you read after it people say a lot of people say growing your own chicken feed is easy but when you look up like what's supposed to be in a proper chicken's diet there's so many different things like that's an operation within itself to grow you know, like the herbs and then the soybean and the corn and like all these things that these like grain sites and these mills do to make like what we see now as pelleted corn, yep. uh, chicken feed. Yep. 
Um, wish, if I you're wish. feeling bougie, Rubbly makes some really cool, uh, really, really, it's organic, all natural, whatever, uh, however they have it branded. But I did it once. It was a hundred dollars for 40 pounds or 60 pounds. Um, and man, my chickens went nuts for that feed. So I hope that the economy gets a bit better so I can actually afford that again, because I would love to see if I can notice a difference in, uh, either the yolk color or the yolk texture or anything. But uh, for right now they got a bag of $20 feed and whatever cheap scratch I can find. What, uh, percent protein are you giving them right now? Uh, 21%. Okay. So you're keeping that up there too. Um, yeah, was... uh, there is no thought process behind that. That was just the highest one that I was able to find for them with high fat as well. I should, given that the age they're at now, really, I should have bought 16% layer feed uh, this past time since they're older now. Because uh, I buy chicken feed in like groups of like three months. And I actually okay. bought 20, which is more expensive than 16, obviously. But then it kind of works out because we're in cold weather now. So the extra protein yep. doesn't necessarily hurt. Exactly. Um, I think the backyard chicken book I got just said, give them their baby feed until they lay an egg and then swap them to uh, layer feed. And that's what we did. Um, and it just lucked out that I was running out of their baby feed when they started laying this past August. One thing I did not know is how, how, how fast chicken feed can go bad. Yeah. Um, they yep. say like, they say like three months and then you could possibly have, you know, like insects or whatever sprout in your feed just because everything comes straight from like a factory or a mill or something like that. Uh, I had that problem because I bought all of my like 20% grown chicken feed in June when they were chicks because I bought the baby chick feed and the grown chick feed. So then it yep. come August, September, I started giving it to them. And then towards the end, when I started getting to the end of that, before I bought more chicken feed in September, I opened the last bag and there were bugs in it and i was like what in the hell how did bugs get in this bag because i keep all of my chicken feed in big plastic tubs to keep insects and rodents out in my feed shed yep um so i was like how the hell did insects get in here and then you know you go down the google rabbit hole and you learn so much just from a small error or a small failure yep and i mean something uh that i want to try is fermenting my chicken feed throwing it in a bucket with some water and giving it to them because supposedly it makes it even more nutritious and everything. But on one hand, if you ferment it too long, you're going to poison your chicken. So I've been very hesitant to do that. <laughs> I try to be as hands off with my chickens as possible because I kind of give them the same approach I give myself is I just want them to be real hearty. Yep. Um, and, you know, the, the whole thing about like protein portion management with chickens doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Because my chickens, you know, whatever, they eat 20% protein uh, in, their field, in, in their feed both times they eat a day. But they also run around for 8 or 10 hours a day free-ranging 5, 10 acres of land, and they eat everything. So, yep. you know, how, is, is the whole, oh, don't give your chickens, you know, 20, 21% protein once they're grown because their organs will fail. It's like, is all that really true? Because they, they eat yeah. every bug under the sun right now. That's just straight protein. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've never actually, my I don't, I'll have to go and check my books because I never heard that if you feed them high protein, they'll, uh, they'll just die, um, which would make sense because if you and I just lived off of protein on that, like on a true carnivore diet, we'd eventually die. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd never heard that. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> I was reading about it recently when I did the whole mishap with not buying the 16% feed instead of 20%. Apparently in like grown chickens, if their protein levels get too high, they say that your chicken's gallbladders will just fail from over protein. But then, you know, in my mind, I'm like, as omnivores in nature, why would they just die if they eat too much protein? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, the, I'm going to, once we get off of this, I'm going to check my backyard chicken book because I'm now interested in that. Because yeah, I've been feeding them a 21% feed for the past couple of months without an issue. Yeah, mine are, you know, six months old now. And I'm giving them 20% on a daily basis and none of them have died yet. Yeah, uh, you know, I learned the same thing with rhubarb. Uh, the people who owned the house before us had a couple of rhubarb plants around it. Rhubarb is poisonous to like dogs and chickens and everything. And you know what my chickens love to eat more than anything else in my backyard was the rhubarb. <laughs> and I like as you were with your uh, chickens going to your horse's hay pile and just standing on it and sifting through it. That was the rhubarb in the backyard for us, regardless of how much we would chew them away. You turn your back for a second and they're back eating the plant. It's like, it's going to kill you. Stop. And none of them died from that. And if you free range your chickens, unless you put them in a very strict little box, there's really no way to control them. Yeah, they will eat any and everything. Um, and, they're, and they're actually pretty you smart will have... about what they're not allowed to eat. Like yeah. They, they know what they're not supposed to eat. Which is which is yep. a very odd concept to me. Or if they just don't like something, it's, they won't eat it. Like I like sometimes I throw yeah. peppers out, um, because they can have peppers. I throw a pepper out there, and you know it may be with tomato and eggshells and everything else, and they'll eat everything but the pepper. Like my chickens just don't like pepper for whatever reason. And mine love them. I threw out or added, just gave them a bowl of red chili flakes, and they went ape shit for it. They ate. And still to this day, I mean, I add them just for the color of the yolk. They don't add anything. Chickens don't have cassapsin receptors, mm. so they don't even know it's hot. They just apparently like really like the taste of it. But uh, I got told I'm not supposed to feed my chicken onions, and I regularly have like half of a leftover onion from cooking. I give it to them, and I, again, like nothing bad's happened yet. So I've had we got twelve successfully raised twelve. We lost one in September uh, at seven months old, and like the only thing I can think of is she had a heart attack. Yeah. Um, none of the other chickens died. Her vent wasn't clogged. So we just, she just died, which is apparently a thing chickens do as well as just die randomly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's another thing where they say, don't give your chickens potato skins, but you can give them potato. I, there's so many different, yeah, weird, like that, there's so many like, weird I saw it's not raw potato skins or don't give them raw potato skins, but they can have cooked potato skins. It's like, I'm going to just throw it out. And if they don't want it, they won't eat it. Yeah. Like the other day when they were in the chicken coop, it, it was snowing or whatever. I had just field dressed one of my deer. I walked into the chicken coop and threw the heart on the ground just because I wanted to see if mm -hmm. they could eat it. And they were like, what the hell is that? Get that out of here. They wanted nothing to do with it. But when I let them out, after I'd already cleaned my deer, you know, later the next day, and there was like a ton of like fat and just random skin on the ground, they went ape shit and just ate all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very uh, I yeah, again, the same on our end. When we have leftover like meat scraps and everything, or if I cut the gristle off of uh, whatever steak I have, same thing, I just throw it out there, and they absolutely love it. My dogs are super jealous that the chickens are getting in. They're not, and they've yet to figure out a way to get into the run to get to it. But, yeah, those chickens just love them some uh, fat and gristle. Do you re-recycle your eggshells back to your chickens? 
Yep, uh, I save all of my eggshells. I'll bake them at 450 for five minutes and then uh, just grind them up into a powder and give it back to them. I'll add it directly into their uh, feeder and they'll get it as they eat. Interesting. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even bake mine. I just put it in a bowl with yeah. like whatever scraps I'm going to take to them from whatever I was cooking. I just put some gloves on and I just crush it into a ton of tiny little pieces and they eat it just like that. Yeah, uh, that was the only thing that somebody had told me. I was like, hey, like, just make sure it doesn't look like an egg. Otherwise, they'll associate the tunes. All right, that makes sense. Yeah. I just do it that way just because it's easier to add it back into their feed than anything else. But yeah, I know plenty of people feed. that do it the way you do it. Yeah, I, I also put eggshells into my compost pile, too. Yep. It's kind of 50-50. If I know I'm going to give the chickens some sort of scrap sometime throughout the day, I'll put the eggshells to the side and give it to them. If not, I have a separate little trash can in my in my uh, kitchen that is specifically for stuff that goes to the compost pile. Banana peels, eggshells, potato skin, or just whatever it is, any, any type of green compost. Um, so so for what it's worth, to. before you add it uh, directly to your compost pile, soak it in water for 24 to 48 hours, your banana peels and eggshells specifically, uh, and then add that water to uh, whatever plants you have around the house. It's really, really good for them. You'll make a uh, kind of homemade fertilizer doing that. One other big um, kind of re recycle homesteading thing we're doing right now is because our house has a wood-burning stove. So yep. I'm saving all of the ashes that we've used. And I did the same thing during the summer during like bonfires. I'm saving all the ashes to put into the garden beds come this spring is kind of like part of the composting process. Or I'm sorry, the uh, yep. yeah, compost process. Yep. Uh, I add mine directly to where the chickens do their dust baths because it, uh, the wood ash is fairly acidic and kills off any bugs that they may have on them. Uh, again, like same thing. We have a wood stove that's been running since it's five degrees outside right now here. Mm -hmm. uh, so our wood stove is constantly going and we have plenty of wood ash. So I'll add it to the chicken's dust bath. I'll add it to the gardens. Tomatoes specifically absolutely love acidic soil. So wood ash for uh, tomato plants is fantastic. I'm going to start using sand as the bedding to my run to my chicken coop. So maybe I'll just put, I'll just start dumping like buckets of ash into that sand and then days when they, they stay in the run, they'll kind of do their own little, because once I start putting sand in there, they're going to want to turn that up and do all kinds of stuff. So maybe that will. Oh yeah. I didn't know, I didn't yep. know uh, the ashes were, you know, like kind of little pest killers. Yeah, uh, that was something, again, just going down to Google rabbit hole, just seeing what I could use wood ash for, uh, that people recommend is, yeah, just add it straight into your uh, chicken's dustbin. Interesting. See, this is this is why it's so important for us to have these types of conversations on a normal basis with people is because you learn so much just from other people doing other things. Yeah, exactly. The person who's been keeping chickens for 20 years is going to know a lot of tricks that you have no idea about and things that work really well, especially if they're local to you. Like, hey, do this for your winter time. We have a prevailing east wind. So when you're setting your coop, set it up this way. Uh, it, just things like that that you would never think about that make a massive difference in just quality of life for you and ease of life for you as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, do you do this is kind of one of the last topics I had wanted to hit on. I really wasn't in a rush to get to it. Do you do anything to like make money off of your homesteading process other than just like kind of trade? Yeah, uh, I sell my eggs. Um, we have I eat two eggs a day for breakfast. 
Um, every now and again, if I'm feeling hungry, I'll hard boil an egg and have some egg salad and everything. But generally, I have a really big surplus of eggs. Um, for people I don't know, I sell my eggs for $10 a dozen. And for my wow. coworkers, it's, yeah. Uh, I saw farm, quote unquote, farm fresh eggs at our farmer's market sell out at $12 a dozen. Uh, here, so I can here, sell them for, Oops, say that one more time. I was going to say, I was going to start selling my eggs for $3 a dozen. I need to change my price. Yeah, look, in, look into your local area. Uh, that is Bozeman where people are bougie as hell and can afford a $10 dozen egg as on the cheap side. Uh, but for my coworkers, I give them five bucks, uh, five bucks a dozen, $4 if they give me the uh, carton back. Um, and that's really about all I do. And that just offsets their feed. Yeah, the majority of my, and that's pretty much what I want to do. The majority of my surplus, like meat birds this coming year and then, also eggs on a normal basis, I'm pretty much going to be selling or trading with like the local guys that I train, train with my tribe, we'll call it whatever we're calling this, this, this here thing that the internet is doing. Um, I pretty much plan to sell it to them and that's only to sustain and basically make my end no profit in a sense, just to pay for my own chicken feed. I'll sell eggs. I'm not trying to become a yeah, man. Exactly. selling chicken eggs. Exactly. Um, and that's, that's all I'm doing with it. Any money I get from my chickens, I end up either donating when I do a craft fair with my wife to some lady doing a, uh, we have a local group that does gift boxes for soldiers and I'll, whatever cash I have on me, I usually give to them. Um, but generally it just goes right back into the chickens. I, mm -hmm. I will probably never turn a profit off of them because it's just not there with chickens and it's just fun. And I really don't care to turn a profit. Yeah. From the homesteading perspective. The goal is just to not have to pay for your own chicken stuff. You're not, yeah, you're, like you said, you're never going to turn a big profit on chickens. Not unless you're selling just tons and tons and tons of eggs, like to commercial businesses on a normal basis. Exactly. Um, yeah, there, uh, there's, it's it's just fun for me. It's stress relief. It's I'm outside. I have to go outside and feed the chickens. So as opposed to sitting inside and being not doing anything and being stagnant. I have to go outside and do that. I have to go out. And it's just mental health stuff more than anything for me. Um, and I got to help out my neighbors. Like one of my neighbors is fairly elderly. His mother, uh, who's I think 98 this year, um, all she can really eat is eggs. So he loves me because I give them free eggs and he's on a fixed income and it helps him kind of stuff. So that's what it is for me. It's, I don't, if I don't turn a profit and if I lose money with chickens, so be it. I got to help out my neighbor and feel good in the process. I like, I prefer to eat six eggs a day in the morning. Um, so that's why I got so many chickens because I need Yeah, eggs. that makes sense. <laughs> what does, what is the going rate right now for like 12 or 18 eggs where you're from? Just in the store, just, uh, general, just general store brand eggs. General, like mass produced, super thin, like non-nutritious eggs. And I want to say are about 450 or five bucks a dozen. A dozen? Okay, yeah. So our... And that's high because our 18 pack of just general, like our big brand Kroger, our Kroger 18 pack of eggs just jumped to 509 for 18. Yeah. And I was like, holy, yeah. And holy crap. Yep. And when you look at how many uh, poultry farms were destroyed this year with avian flu, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, like everything else this year. But, um, yeah, I think our 12 packs are between four and five bucks a dozen. I think an 18 pack of our version. Of, actually, we have Kroger brand um, and I think it's a Safeway that's Kroger brand here. Um, they're like, I want to say like six bucks a dozen for 18 or six bucks per 18 pack. Excuse me. 
And if there's any reason I could give to people to why you need to start diving into some sort of project of any of the many things we've talked about today, you know, 2022 is a perfect example of why, because not only did we have the bird flu, um, you know, significantly damage, you know, established flocks of turkeys and chickens and whatnot throughout the U.S., both on the egg side and the meat side, but we had tons of, you know, random food processing plants burned down, but also agriculturally, we had a very bad year. The war in Europe set aside. The entire world was kind of in a drought throughout the year. And I mean, I've been talking to some of my buddies from out west in Montana and Wyoming, and I know hay prices is not good up there right now. And it's high here too, but you guys are like way up there. And that is not going to reflect on the specifically the beef market very well moving forward. Yep. Uh, luckily the one thing we have had a lot of this year was rain. So our high hay prices came down locally. Um, so our brief, I mean, I bought from a local farm, Koenig farms the other day, probably some of the best tasty beef I've ever had. And they were 10% cheaper than Walmart on all of their prices, which, and so I'll be going to them for all of my beef from this point forward. You guys had good rain where you're at in Montana? Uh, this past year, yeah, we had a very, very wet, uh, wet spring and summer. So we didn't have a lot of wildfires, but the year before that and the year before that we were in drought conditions, uh, and hay prices just went through the roof. Interesting. I talked to a lot of guys that said they got very little rain this year. Interesting. I would be interested in what part of uh, Montana they were in because Western Montana, where I'm at, we got, I mean, we rained up until it looked like we were going to have a horrible year because we got no snowfall and then it rained pretty almost every other day until I want to say mid to late June. Mm. Yeah. Most, most people I know are from the East side of Montana and they said, they're yeah. Really okay. Crazy. That's why. Yep. <laughs> like the areas of like Texas and Oklahoma too, they also had really bad droughts um, do you ever watch bear independence channel on youtube every now and again yeah uh, he's in oklahoma and he said that they went like 75 80 days before they got rain between like spring and the first rain of fall wow i mean the, the texas cattle market really took a big hit this year I oh mean, i'm sure especially uh what was it was it oklahoma that had like 10 or 12,000 cows die off in a day because of the heat wave. Yeah, that was a really that was a really weird incident. Yeah. But I, but I yeah, it never that, happened before, hasn't happened since, but hey. I even know here in Kentucky, cattle farmers were were, were struggling and people were selling their yeah. cows early. Just I mean, especially the price of fuel. I think the price of fuel is getting yeah. really everything everything more than droughts or feed costs or anything like that. I mean, people just can't run equipment on large operations anymore. Yep. Uh, especially when you start looking into just the potential lack of avail availability of diesel fuel mm -hmm. and how much that will impact everything. Because unfortunately, we're a very petroleum based uh, agricultural society. So people use petroleum in their fertilizers. You need it to run your vehicles. So all of it is based on the availability of stuff and like DEF which is just urea and water was extremely hard to get. And that is something that we need for shipping. All of your trucks because of federal regulations need a DEF tank or modern trucks need a DEF tank. So you could just shut an entire section of our economy off just by lack of availability to a single product. And all of those prices get reflected back us back onto us as consumers as those prices go up. We've talked about that a little bit, even at my fire yep. department, because all of our... All of most of our vehicles now at this point are somewhat newer 
so they all have the def requirement. I think we only have one piece of apparatus left in the fleet that doesn't necessarily need def to run. Yep. Um, so that's something I know we've kind of talked about. Um, and some people... Yeah, and unfortunately, people, yeah. I wish the uh, diesel gate with Volkswagen never happened because you used to be able to get the def tanks just deleted out of things. And it's much harder to find that now because my car is also a diesel and has a def tank in it. And I just wish it didn't. And that's another thing about with smaller homesteads and just little backyard guards and stuff is you don't rely on fuel prices and heavy equipment availability and all that kind of stuff to, to do a lot of this um, or really any of this. Um, a little bit of manpower in a yeah. wheelbarrow and you can in a wheelbarrow and you can get stuff done. I mean, I even planted my cornfield this year, even though it wasn't a huge plot, both next year and this year, uh, I planted my cornfield by hand and it turned out yep. just fine. Yep. Um, I think people forget that most of the time we have been hand planting food for the vast majority of human existence and done pretty well with that. Uh, that is just kind of something we got to, as a culture, push our way back towards is just being more self-reliant. Yep. I, I've got, I think I, you hit the nail on the head with Victory Gardens being uh, the next big thing. And I bet Instagram in a year will have a lot of the big names doing Victory Gardens. I hope so. Did you see the video I put up on my channel once I, once I got my account up and running again? As many times I've deleted this year. Did you see the video I posted on planting garlic? I didn't actually. That's something that I'm. I know I'm late to the game, but I'm gonna have to go look at that because somebody had mentioned, "Hey, did you see your video on it?" And I was like, "No, goddammit, I wish I did because I would have liked to have planted garlic this year." That's that's pretty much my plan is to just push homesteading down everybody's throats by interrupting tactical content with homesteading content <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> I like, and I'll be on that same page with you because I'm getting ready to start uh, start potting some stuff uh, for my basement today. I got a uh, I got a three gallon bucket of deer tallow sitting in my fridge that I have to turn into soap. That's that, was... that you need to make sure you do a video on that because again, just a super useful skill that not a lot of people uh, know how to do. Yeah, I, and this is gonna be the first year I'm doing it. My my goal this year was to find an additional way for the deer that I kill to be beneficial to me throughout the year, other than just the meat. Yep. Um, I gave my, yeah. I gave my pelts actually to another guy in the group of the guys that I trained with locally. Cause he wanted to try and, you know, make leather from the pelts and whatnot. So he's doing that. Um, I kept all the deer fat. I'm going to try to make soap. Um, I, I had planned originally to keep all the bones and then I saw something on, I think it was either Instagram or TikTok, about how you can take deer bones or elk bone, anything like that, you know, boil it to get all of the meat off of it and then let it sit out to dry. And then you can crush it with just like a, uh, um, you know, a sledgehammer, a pound. Like a mortar pestle kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You just, you crush it into like a fine dust. And then if you put it in your garden, it's supposed to be really, really good for your garden. I was planning yep. to do that. Um, I got a little overwhelmed with the amount of projects I've taken on at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and even before that, just using your bones and whatever meats on it, you can boil it off to make a bone broth and then crush them up. And there's two more uses for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Broth is definitely something I want to tackle eventually. Again, I'm kind of at the point where I realize 
I may be trying to tackle too much at once and I'm kind of reeling back in and being like, all right, what is realistic? Because the problem, I, yep. I know my, I mean, this goes with everything, even outside of farming and homesteading is I get a ton of ideas and I'm like, yeah, I can totally manage doing all of this in one short window. And then it does not work out that way. Yep. And so, then you get either a bunch of half finished projects or one very well done project. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm, <laughs> and you know, pr- processing, cause I don't take my deer to a processor. I process all of my own deer myself. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, two very large deer this past, uh, whatever it was, um, Monday that I processed, I started at 11 AM and I didn't finish till 11 o'clock at night just cause yep. I have to do everything myself by hands, which some people could probably do it in a less amount of time, but um, I'm also not a per, I'm not a professional. I've I've processed my own deer for ten years, but I do it one to three times a year. So it's not like I'm super proficient in practice. Every year, it's like, yeah. all right, what am I going to forget how to do? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's just building off of that year after year after year. And uh, I don't know, like we, my wife and I would make one whole chicken a. Uh, a week and then make bone broth with whatever the leftovers were. So that was our way of let me tackle this project and then figure out how to make it, or excuse me, not bone broth, chicken broth out of it. Um, and then we would have leftover chicken broth. So that may be worthwhile for you to look into as well as uh, I have this leftover thing. Let me boil it for a little bit and add all of my scrap vegetables. And then I can feed that to the chickens or compost it. And that was our way of getting around 30 different unfinished projects and ideas. So I guess that's one one thing we could talk about and we could probably um, wrap this up is, you know, getting your spouse or your significant other involved. We've kind of both like talked like, oh, our spouse did this or helped us with this or whatever. But we haven't talked about that. So, you know, how how open was your are you married or is it like a just girlfriend? I'm married. Yeah. Okay. So um, how, she how was, was horrified of chickens <laughs> going so how, into this. She had. Oops, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, how how was that for her transitioning into what you wanted to accomplish? And, you know, how has she taken everything on? Uh, luckily, my wife is super supportive of all of my harebrained ideas. She moved with the out to Montana on three weeks of notice. So got really lucky with her there. Um, but she's been super supportive. She was petrified of chickens and it was, OK, you can get chickens but it's your thing and it's like all right that's fine and then she named them and she got to watch them grow up from day old chicks to the velociraptors that they are now and now all of them have names and they're pet chickens and everything so it's really fun um with the garden and stuff like the other night we sat down and it's like okay i really enjoyed growing these things so i'm going to continue doing this you like these things or you like the taste of this so i'll get more of this what else do you want to grow like what what interests you? And she wanted to do a lot of herbs, so like lavender and stuff like that for her business. So um, just getting her involved and seeing like what parts of it she had fun with was a really easy way for me to get her hooked onto it. I don't expect her to clean the chicken coop, but she'll go out and gather eggs on the day I'm working and stuff like that. And it's all just having that conversation being like, hey, listen, like, I'm really interested in doing this. I would really like to do this. Do you, would you help me with it? Um, and then seeing any reservations that they have and just having that open communication with them. Yeah, communication is going to be huge because some people are going to be willing to take on more and some people are going to be like, uh, I don't want to add that much to my plate or I'm not comfortable doing this. Like my, yep. my, my, my now fiance is, is the same exact way. She's extremely supportive of my entirely way too many projects and activities that I have. Um, but my chickens actually, when I got my chicks in June, they showed up a day early and I was at the firehouse 
So luckily my, my fiance is a teacher. So she was on summer break and I was like, I called her and was like, Hey, I know you've never managed or dealt with chicks a day in your life, but I need you to go get the chicks from the post office and then set them up in, uh, in the garage and, and make sure that they're squared away until I get home tomorrow. So having a, a spouse that's going to support you will not only make it easier on you, but also help kind of build that relationship a little bit. Um, like my fiance, I, I'm kind of the same way. It's like, I don't expect her to clean out the chicken coop and do stuff like that. Like that's my project. But days that I'm at the firehouse, she feeds the chickens. She makes sure the horse gets hay, um, you know, so on and so forth. And, and she kind of shows interest in wanting to learn more stuff. But, you know, especially younger, younger couples in today's generation, we're all both very busy. Um, you probably both have full-time jobs or school or whatever it is. So you got to find the balance um, and see what they're comfortable doing. Yeah, exactly. Totally agree with that. I think that open communication is, uh, is going to be the key to all of that. My fiance doesn't, I don't think a hundred percent knows this yet, but um, so all the salsa I made and canned this year was red salsa, but my girlfriend, I'm uh, sorry, my fiance, man, I haven't broke that habit yet. Um, <laughs> she, she prefers green salsa. So she, you know, after the growing season, she was like, Hey, can we grow this variety of green tomato this coming year? She doesn't know yet, but that's going to be her project next year is growing. Yeah. The green tomato. And that's awesome. That's a really cool and a really good way to get her involved with. And soon enough, you'll, uh, cause my wife was kicking me out of the garden quite often to take care of it. So my guess is you'll end up in that same spot eventually, Sue. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun though. And even if you're single, yeah. it's, it's fun. It gives you something to do and it's productive. I, I sometimes, you know, feel a little overwhelmed or I think to myself, I'm like, man, why do I take on so many responsibilities? I got so much to do. I feel like I'm never caught up. But at the same time, I remember um, being in the Marine Corps on my off days. And then even after getting out of the Marine Corps and, you know, living in an apartment during the COVID days, it's like, I always thought to myself, like, I would rather be doing anything other than watching remakes on tv right now or just sitting around like i wish i had just stuff to do hard work sucks sometimes and having responsibilities sucks sometimes but at the same time it's super fulfilling and it, it is probably more mentally healthy for you to be stressed in this way than to be stressed in ways that really don't matter in the end exactly Exactly. I, you're going to, uh, a great quote I heard was, you're going to turn 30 one day. You may as well be 30 with a nice garden. <laughs> I like that. Somebody's put that on a t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, I think we have hit, I mean, we have been all over the place. We. I hope that everybody learns something out of this. And hopefully we've motivated a few people to, uh, you know, to dive into this next year of, of all scales. It's important. We got to do these things. And it all starts, you know, with things like this, us just trying to change the culture of things. Exactly. I think having the conversations is a first step and then getting the people interested in it and seeing it and making them feel bad that they're not doing it is going to be the next step. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any, like, favorite social media channels that you would like to – shout outs as far as like homesteading or anything like that kind of to point people towards uh yeah i do it's wish a bish wood 
Um, that is who I go through for the vast majority of questions I have. It's uh, uh, somebody out of Oregon, I believe, who does a fantastic job with it. And then I'll shout out my homie Jordan, who's helped me with a lot of projects. And I've bounced a lot of ideas off of him. Uh, and that's no more of this crap on, uh, on Instagram as well. Both, both of them are really good people and really good resources that have helped me quite a bit. Um, I like buying books as well. So I bought all of the cheap books I could get my hands on. Um, your local library is another great resource. I'll shout out all the local libraries. Most of them sell old books that they have. If you go to those or a used bookstore, you can find books directly related to your local area with what grows well, how to grow them well. Um, and I think that's another good resource to know as too. Another really good resource for people on the on the local scale, if you don't have friends that are already into this kind of stuff or family members, is usually like your local uh, plant nurseries, you know, places that sell seeds and like premature plants and stuff like that at the beginning of spring and whatnot. Those are usually run by like some old timer that's been around forever um, or your local feed stores and mills. You go to places like that and ask questions. You're going to um, get answers. Those guys love to, or women, if it's them or them running it, those older folks that run those types of places love teaching new people and just spreading information and growing the things that they really care about. So don't be afraid to go to those types of places and just ask questions. Be like, this is what I want to do this next year. You know, out of, out of everything you've got here, what do you suggest I get started with? You'll, you'll get the information that yep. you want. Yeah, that culture is really interesting and very different from what we see on Instagram, where there's a lot of bullying of first timers because the person who bought a care arms or an SCCY gets the shit bullied out of them. You go to a plant nursery and you just tell an old timer there, hey, listen, like it's my first time growing a garden. I have no idea where to start. You will get from them more resources than you would ever know what to do with and more information. And I think, like you said, just being willing to go in there and say you're a first timer is the best way to start those conversations and get more some really, really good information. Um, I need, I, I've been trying to bully um, my friend Isaac, who we refer to as plant daddy into picking up his Instagram content. Unfortunately, he doesn't have a very predominant channel for me to, to shout out, but a shout out to my buddy Isaac for, you know, helping me and a lot of the other guys in the local group for that. He's gave us a ton of knowledge. He actually put on a PowerPoint class, uh, this spring all about planting and how like soil works and like all that kind of stuff, which was super awesome. Um, so shout out to him. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I would like to shout out two accounts off of TikTok, and I believe they have Instagrams too. Uh, the first one is the Homesteading RD um, and then Homegrown Home Gathered. Those are probably my two favorite homesteading channels. They're kind of like me, just like small um, smaller plots of land. They're not big farm operations, but they do so much. My idea to make um, soap for my deer tallow came from homegrown and home gathered uh, from their uh, series on like all the things you can do with a deer carcass after you've uh, obviously butchered the meat. So shout out to those two channels. Definitely check them out. Um, just seeing little bits and information, um, about homesteading or, or gardening or whatever on your feed on a normal basis will not obviously obviously attract other accounts that are similar to that to your algorithm, but it also just kind of continues to feed you ideas and whatnot. And it's just, it's nice to fulfill your timeline with something more productive like that than probably a lot of the nonsense that a lot of you already have on your timeline. 
it's also a nice break because um, I follow a lot of a lot of medical accounts, a lot of like military accounts, mm-hmm. and going from whatever's whatever current latest disaster is happening to look at how I grew this pretty plant is a really nice break when you're scrolling through your timeline. It is it is nice, and a lot of them don't. A lot of these types of channels don't do anything like tactical or anything like that or no. medicine. They're just like homestead channels and they do really good jobs presenting information and putting videos together. So it's kind of, it's just kind of nice to enjoy that simple stuff every once in a while. Exactly. Well, bud, I, I, I think this was a really good episode. I'm glad that I was able to, to get you on. Um, obviously both of our channels and professions are um, not necessarily, you know, being homestead experts, but uh, I think we've had a lot of really good conversation today. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to be on. For sure. Um, just so you know, let's see, today is the 17th. So this should come out Monday the 21st. So this coming Monday. Perfect. Uh, it'll be posted up. And, of course, I'll uh, I'll tag you in it, and uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. I appreciate it again, man. Thank you very much for today. This was fantastic. Thank you. All right, awesome. guys. Cheers, man. Cheers. That is all I've got for episode 13, Homesteading and You. As always, guys, train hard, train often. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder. Call me what you wanna, but you can't call me no coward. Strength in numbers, we the people, still the ones with power. Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours. Tell me turn it down.